you know, should a Christian go to the Kidron Valley and watch the ritual sacrifice of children to Molech? You know, should a Christian go to the Aztec temple and collect the heads as they slide down the, the mountaintop? It's like, what? Oh. You know, it's like, <laughs> um, no. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. We are recording this episode on Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church on Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Great, Nick. So I was going to kick off our witty banter this week by asking JD how mere Anglicanism went, but then mere <laughs> Anglicanism went and blew up the internet. I guess it wanted to get promoted from witty banter to the main stage of the podcast. Um, so it seems like there are two big things worth discussing coming out of that conference. First, Calvin Robinson's talk, of course, and his subsequent disinvitation from the panel discussion he'd been scheduled to participate in. But then second, something that happened at that panel discussion, Sam Albury at least implying that Christians could go to a same-sex quote-unquote wedding with a clear conscience, and then no one speaking up to argue the other side, despite the panel being explicitly given the opportunity to do so. Now, the Calvin Robinson takes, including one from our own Matt Kennedy, published just today, have been coming fast and furious, so we'll probably only talk about that for a bit, spending most of our time talking about weddings and Christian attendance, especially in light of Alistair Begg's recent controversial comments. So let's begin at the beginning. J.D., you were there at the conference. <laughs> I was. Why don't you indeed. give us a sort of play-by-play from your perspective? What What happened? Well, um, yeah, and I, I do commend Matt's article. He graciously let me read it uh, before he posted it just because I was there and he wasn't. But you did get the the pertinent facts in order, Matt, and I think it was a it was a good discussion. So I commend that. We should put that in the show notes if I even knew what those were. And I go looking for show notes in other people's shows and I find no notes. So, um, well, I mean, it's been said, and if people listening to this have probably already heard it, but suffice it to say, Calvin Robinson took his, um, uh, his task, which according to him, was to talk about the roots of critical theory and laid the blame at the roots there at feminism, at the feminist um, impulse. And the way I heard that initially was not unlike the uh, way that Mary Harrington describes sort of feminism as as if it were this idea that men and women are interchangeable, but for you know the unfortunate realities of differences in, in plumbing, for lack of a better word. And therefore, that idea, if you buy into that, then from that springs all of the various kind of modern heresies dealing with human anthropology. And so he that was his thesis, and it was really fascinating because as soon as he started going in that direction, you could tell a palpable change of, of the mood in the room, particularly because, as Matt pointed out so clearly, among the ACNA in particular, the question of women's orders is hotly contested and, and still up for debate. And South Carolina is a diocese where we have, if there's a spectrum, we're fairly, um, we're, we're on the opposite spectrum in terms of sort of appreciation of, of what women, what their orders can and can't be, namely that we have ordained women to the priesthood and rectors in our diocese, which is not the, the pattern across the diocese, but that perhaps, so it was an interesting very um sort of well you could say i don't know what it was it was a it was a the audience was not prepared to hear that really i think that i think that's safe to say i don't think that people could have uh, anticipated that and yet that was his conviction and that was his statement and that's what he defended 
so throughout his entire talk, I mean, it was really surreal. It's really, for lack of a better word, because um, there was it was some things were being said that I thought were, you know, particularly about the Reformation and Luther that could be easily dismissed, and and I took umbrage to. But um, but overall, it was just basically a clear articulation of what we say a traditionalist viewpoint on the ontological inability for women to be priests. I mean, that was kind of the the statement. And so, you know, I knew I'm in this diocese, and I knew that some of these pe- some people were hearing that with great disdain and and you know displeasure and some people were very supportive of it i mean that's kind of the mix that we've been given that's the one that we inhabit and so the 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 response to it was i i thought the response was was a little bit more vociferous or or sort of i thought that there was a, there was a longer sense of applause than some other people had maybe it's just where i was sitting uh, but but there certainly wasn't any at least i could tell cat calls booze or harumphs of disgust you know, so it's in, by and large, a polite people, you know, uh, even if people have some serious disagreements. And I thought Jeff Miller um, was masterful in his sort of diffusing of whatever kind of tension there may have been with a wonderful story about, you know, recently it's come to mind in his family that he is a direct descendant of Martin Luther. And so some of the categories <laughs> that some of the uh, some of the disparaging comments made about Luther was obviously uh, he was he was smiling. I mean, it was really masterful. And and he ended with a um, with a statement that said, you know, not everyone on this panel or in this conference is going to agree with what we just heard, but that's part of what the conference is about. When iron sharpens iron, they're going to be sparks, he said. And he said, what you said there, like Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms, who said, here I stand, I can do no other, my conscience binds me. You've heard someone stand and say something that they truly believe and had the courage of their convictions. And so, and then people clapped again, you know? So anyway, I mean, that was, I think Bethel McGrew's uh, sort of recounting of that was, I mean, she was there too. So um, that was that. I was actually given gratefully, cause I had gotten to know Calvin. He's been on this show uh, in Kigali. And so we had been given the privilege of taking him out to eat that night. And so um, we had a wonderful time and my associate and I um, and our wives took him out and had a great dinner and laughed. And, you know, I told him I, I didn't have time or energy or desire to correct his erroneous read of the Reformation. So we would just let, let that stand for another time <laughs> with a smile, of course. Um, and then woke up the next morning, just like everyone else, and was getting coffee and started, my phone started blowing up because he had begun telling the world that he had been disinvited from the panel. And well, that's, that's where everyone else entered the conversation. Was, so. was there any sense in your discussion with him that night? I mean, maybe, I know you probably can't say everything you talked about, but, but is there any sense in the in the uh, conversation that he knew things weren't going well behind the scenes, or did he just was he kind of just thinking he had a great talk? And no, I mean, it was obvious. I mean, everyone it, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that that there was some displeasure. You know, that was that that wasn't a you know the the, the most dense among us could have gotten that. So there was an awareness of that. But certainly, uh, well, no, there wasn't any. Um, I was as shocked. Let's put it this way: I was as shocked as anyone else was when I started getting the the texts. You know what happened? And people were asking me. You know, did what what took place? And I just said, frankly, I mean, other than the the talk, I, I was not privy to any of the other discussions. So, and one of the things that that was quickly put out in the various comment threads on Facebook and Twitter and also other places by those who were kind of defending the decision to disinvite him to the panel was, well, you know, he, he didn't talk about what he was asked to talk about. Did you like listening to it in the room? Did, did and you, I guess you knew what the, what the talk was supposed to be about before he started, started speaking. I thought, you, I mean, I, I, I wasn't persuaded um, personally uh, by that argument, although I could see 
you know, uh, again, I wasn't privy to what was actually asked. So, you know, that was kind of, and then of course, Calvin has made this argument there. I do think that it was liable that the entire conference was going to become a debate essentially over women's orders. And, you know, to, to argue from a directorial position that that's not the, the intent nor the desired outcome, um, you know, and therefore we need to take some precautions that it doesn't become that, you know, that that's an understandable, at least fear concern, you know, I mean, uh, again, no one asked me, so, you know, so I can have all sorts of Monday morning quarterbacking. I do, I do respect um, immensely Jeff Miller and the, and the whole Anglican team. And so I know that, you know, one of the, one of the challenges of leadership is making decisions that, you know, with, with information that not everyone has. And so again, you know, I'm, I'm praying for them and I, and I hope it doesn't, you know, I know it's 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 going to be a challenge to kind of navigate it on the other side. But but um, no, I didn't think I mean, I thought, you know, I thought you could disagree with his thesis. You know, his thesis was that this egalitarian, I think it would have been maybe more helpful if I mean, that's really what he's talking about. This is like egalitarian motion notion, you know, of the sort of the ontological interchangeability of men and women, which you could then call feminism, but you don't have to. Uh, lies at the heart of all critical theory, which Neil Shinby, I think, just recently pointed out is 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 kind of a kind of a known argument. Um, you could disagree with that, you know, and, and many people may, um, and many people I'm sure have, but that was his argument, and you know, I just listened to it and I said, well, you know, parts of it that I thought were compelling, parts of it a little bit less so. But to be honest, knowing the context that he was speaking in and knowing the audience to whom he was speaking, I was much more just sort of astounded that this was actually taking place. I was like, I can't believe that I'm actually here watching this happen because of all the people involved, it was surreal. I mean, I, you know, I, I wish it in a certain sense hadn't happened only because I don't want it to harm the, the reputation and integrity of the conference. But at the same time, certainly revealed, let's put it this way, I think there's no question that the reaction to it on both sides revealed that this, to whatever extent people think we've moved on or that there's no festering with respect to this question that is starting to, to, to become toxic, well, that revealed that that is certainly not the case because you have the reactions on all the various ways indicate that there are people who are clamoring for a open honest and forthright discussion uh, about this issue and and there being um, at least one side of it, which could be broadly understood to be represented by Calvin Robinson's talk, one side of it is, is being silenced and or if not shamed in our church and amongst the, um, you know, the supposed dual integrities, only one of them seems to be allowed to actually be held with any sort of vocal and um, sort of outspoken defense. And so I think what you had, I think what what I think happened was that you had a situation where just two people disagreed with two thirds of what Calvin may have said, or may have quibbled with it, but that there was a there was a voicing of a, at the very least, a, a general traditional understanding of men and women and holy orders in particular, that was was resonating with a large number of people in that room, not everyone. And when he wasn't allowed to continue that conversation, it seemed like that was the, you know, a further silencing of one of the sides of the supposedly two dual integrities. Um, now, I don't think that's was the intent, knowing Jeff and the Mir Anglican people, I think that they really do believe that it that the place to have these type of conversations is at Mir Anglicanism. Yeah. I just think that because of the particular 
situation moment we find ourselves in and the people who were present there and on all the various angles, the decision was made to, to not have that conversation. And, you know, that's, that's, that's fine. And so far as it goes with respect to a conference director, I mean, that's his prerogative, but I, I am hopeful that whatever else happens, that this is an indication that this conversation must continue and that clearly there is no peace underlying this, this um, stated truce. And I'm not exactly sure what to do other than allow for more formal public presentations of both sides, or at least this side, and let let the chips fall, you know, let the arguments be made, let the people be convinced. I mean, we said that's nothing short of what we said before. It was just really very surreal to be living in the middle of it. You know, we've talked before about how if the ACNA is going to have this sort of broad complementarian bent um, represented by our Constitution and the prohibition of women to sentence to bishop, well, then we need to explain why that's the case, not just that it's the case, because for the people for whom it's just a law, it's it rubs them wrong and, and, and you know, provokes them to anger because, well, why is that not? So they have to not know just that it is the case, but why? And the why actually falls, broadly speaking, along some of the argumentation that Calvin Robinson was making, namely that the, he's going to the scriptures, he's talking about the ontological reality, the differences between men and women and their respective roles and responsibilities, and so on and so forth. Even if you're in a diocese that allows that ordains women to the priesthood and, and allows them to be rector, you're still in a diocese that has a man as a bishop because it's still falling broadly under the understanding of Paul and and First and Second Timothy in particular about women's leadership in the in the church and home. I mean, a men's leadership in the church and home. So you know, I, I mean, we, we we'll keep saying that. Um, I'll keep saying that. But it was surreal to be in a situation where we got to see firsthand how viscerally reactive on both sides people are to hearing this position, either with like a sigh of relief, like finally someone saying what we've we what have I wanted them to say, or or a, or a sense of uh, sort of revulsion or or reaction. And as a pastor, you know, as you well know, you know, when you, someone has such a powerful reaction to an idea one way or the other, you know, it's um, always an indication of, of a, something else. It's like a deeper, a deeper problem that needs to be addressed because that, because we should be able to, well, disagree in love, <laughs> but, but, you know, there we go. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, don't I, mean, wanna... I think, I mean, setting aside for just a second, the, the, the actual issue of women's ordination, which I think is, a, of course, uh, the, I think is a presenting issue. I'm having a hard time understanding what was, what was a thought in the first place inviting him is because if you did just a modicum of research on on calvin robinson you know that he has these are some issues that he cares deeply about uh women's ordination and and being anti-reformation he's got, and that's been very clear in his facebook posts and his twitter posts i mean just social media he's he's not hidden who he is and so i, I think it would stand to reason that if you ask someone like calvin robinson to talk about critical theory it wasn't even critical critical race theory it was critical theory that they i saw the email that uh, well i think that i think that he 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 made it personal though he made it personal to acna you know he said he warned us that by adopting this root of critical theory i.e feminism these are his words that we are uh simply walking the same you know misguided path that we purportedly have left by leaving the episcopal church and joining and so he right I mean, that's part but, of his but talk. But my point right? is, though, that's what did you expect him to say? <laughs> of course, he's going to say that. That's 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 who Calvin Robinson is. That's what he thinks. That's what he believes. That he 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 in his mind, 
and I don't think he's totally wrong, but in his mind, feminism is the entree that all the critical theories use to get into the church. So, and and, and the presenting symptom of feminism is in the church in a way is women's ordination. So, so of course he's going to talk about it. I just, I'm, this is where I'm having a hard time understanding the organizer's thinking here, because he's going to talk about that. Uh, he's going to talk about how the Reformation was a mistake. If you ask him to talk about a broad, the broad subject of critical theory, that's what he's going to do. And you can't blame him. I mean, you, unless you, he, that's, he would not have integrity if he didn't talk about that and say, and give you the real reasons he thinks these things have become so virulent and, and destructive within, within the church. So then I'm just talking about this in a purely handling, organizing context. So you get Calvin Robinson to talk about critical theory. He says exactly what you should expect Calvin Robinson to say in your venue about, <laughs> about critical theory. And then you, you can the guy for, for saying what anybody would have been able to say he's going to say. And then, you know, there was, I guess, I guess not. And then, but there were so many other options here to take. You could have said to him, oh, uh, Father Robinson, look, uh, we appreciate your talk. It wasn't quite what we were expecting. We would like the panel discussion to be centered on other things. So could we just, just for the sake of the rest of the, of the conference, you know, how about not mentioning women's ordination and and uh, in, the, in the panel or, or something along those lines? And it could have been handled. There would have been none of this, none of the things that we're seeing happening right now. But there's well, something- I think that's because- I think that's I think that's what I was trying to get at. I think that's the indication of how deep the um yeah. sort of the the unresolved tension in the ACNA is on this particular question. Because, you know, uh and, and I think again, I'm not I, I wasn't privy, nor was I asked to any of the, the discussions. Uh but you know, that this was the issue that could have clouded people's otherwise sober judgment, um, because of all the things, all the reasons, you know. And I think that that's what was that's what I took away from it was that if if nothing else comes out of this other than an awareness that we have to talk about this more um, and we have to be Christians and talk about it more and we have to and Christians have to be able to hear opinions that they don't like if they are particularly if they are traditional and, and biblical and deal with it, you know, both sides. I mean, that's the thing. And if and if if you are believe that this is unbiblical or unchristian. Or, um, you know, well, then that needs to be said, too, you know, but right now what's happening is that, you know, you'll have people thinly, if not overtly, uh, saying that the traditional position on keeping or, or, or men, men and women in ministry, namely that women should not be uh, rectors or leaders in the church in that same respect, is a misogynistic position. You know, you start yeah. calling people misogynists long enough, Christian people who who take that word seriously and have wives and daughters, and, you know, you're going to have a reaction um, you, you, you know, that's, that's, that's going to continue to fester. And, and that's what, and I think in, in part, the reaction to, um, Calvin not being invited on the panel, um, was in part because of that very festering, you know, you had a group of people who, even if online, not even at the conference, who heard in what he said, something that reflected in broad brush, their position, which would, which was the Catholic, you know, it's little C position up until, you know, yesterday, and then they saw him not invited, then right or wrong, you know, this is the thing. This is why I don't want to presume on the motives, but right or wrong, the the the, the optics were that that position had been yeah. had been silenced once again. And once again, you know, the misogynists were not gonna to have to be able to stand and berate the 
the women and all of the way, you know, this is the, the way that you would think it. And, and there's, you know, if that's true, I mean, this is where I would appeal to the bishops. Like if that is true, well, then we need to be called into account and we need to be reprimanded, rebuked and, or if it is actually dual integrities, well, then the people who are implying the opposite, namely that if you hold like in your diocese, Matt, that all you guys in diocese of living word are just a bunch of misogynists because, you know, y'all are stuck in the past and can't, you know, you don't know how to read Junia, um, you know, and all the stuff, uh, you know, they need to stop people from saying that. Like it has it has to it has to end, and I and I could go both sides, you know. And the people that are online and saying, you know, every time they see a woman in a collar, they they say something unchristian and uncharitable, like call that out. But it has to happen on the other side too, and it's not, and it's not even not happening. It's not happening hardly ever because the implications and the um, almost almost open accusations of you know either biblical illiteracy, misogyny, or well, those are two pretty big criticisms to levy at a ordained minister you know you don't know how to read your bible and you're a mis- oh, oh by the way you're a misogynist it's like well i'm only going to listen to that for so long and so this is what but this is what they're forcing us into and we saw it on full display that it's it as of now is not in remotely settled because what i would have liked to have imagined is that you get calvin robinson up there saying this and you had people that had been convinced of their position perhaps opposite of his who heard that and said, well, you know, I've heard that, I've digested that, and I reject it because this is where I, you know, or vice versa. You know, I I can't wait to ask him questions about it on the panel and challenge his That's right. Yeah. I mean, that's what I, you know, it's like, okay, I've got, um, you know, if I someone got up there and laid the root of critical theory, the patriarchy and, and the, the, the ex, ex, exact reverse, like the idea that that there is some sort of hierarchical position between uh, men and women within the church and family is the reason why the, the world has gone crazy. I've been like, huh, interesting. Like, I really disagree with that, but I'd like to think that I would could handle that. Now, maybe, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I read enough of that type of argumentation to to think that I'm at least handling it on a daily basis. But that's where I just appeal. I mean, I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what, I don't know if we convene another year long, you know, like conclave or something or, but, but it was, it was sad for me, not because Calvin, the Calvin aspect to me is a friend and, and that's, but, you know, bracket that aside, the, the, what, what it portended for the future of the ACNA was not good. Um, and unless we make some sort of, concerted effort to at least address the root the, the root of our problem, which is that this question is not settled. I'm told that after the talk, some ordained women got physically sick. They were so upset, they were physically ill. And then of course, I, I don't we don't know what happened between Friday and Saturday. We don't know what conversations happened between bishops and organizers, who, who knows? But I don't know. But I will say the the mark of an idea that ha- doesn't have intellectual substance is when you can't allow the other side to be heard. Like if, if you get sick when someone says something <laughs> opposing your position or when you can't, you know, it, 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 I, going back to the 2019s when we were with all the snowflake conversations about college students who had to have safe places when they heard ideas they disagreed with I me. Mean, that's what, that's what this seems like. And, 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 Anglicans above all people should be able to deal with, we should be able to be able to live in the tension, as they used to say back in the Episcopal church. That's right. And, right. That's right. Right. I mean, why, 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 why can't, 
I, as a person who have come to the other position about uh, about women's ordination, has been a long journey. I now disagree with it. I'm fine with hearing people who disagree with me. I don't I don't need to throw up. I don't need to cry. Even my most deeply held positions, like my faith in the Lord, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I hear all the time people disagreeing with it. I don't. It doesn't make me physically ill. I don't even know that if I were a conference organizer and someone, and I invited someone who I knew to be a heretic, if I if I if I knew in advance this person's a heretic, and then he comes to my conference and he says speaks heresy, I I, I wouldn't have a emotional reaction. I'd say, okay, well, look, I knew this was going to happen. Let's have a get him on the panel. And we'll talk him down. It, it just it, this is mind boggling to me how how this happened. I, and I think it's a disaster. I think it's a, a maybe I'm maybe mere Anglicanism will survive. I'm not saying it won't, but it, it's just a, I think it's a disaster for mere Anglicanism. I think it makes it makes the makes the whole conference look terrible. Um, I think it makes I think it makes advocates of women's ordination look terrible. And I know some who are very beautiful and wonderful people, and I know some women who are ordained who've been through a, a hell because of their stance for sexual orthodoxy and the sexuality question and who hold their position on women's ordination because to their understanding they do so from the bible not because they're they're feminists and and these are and i think that's safe to say that's most of the yeah. if not all the women clergy right. in our diocese I mean, right right I mean, that i you know so i, I i'm glad right. that if that's the case i mean i think i'm not disagreeing with you that that's the case be that being the case this should not have happened <laughs> There, there, there should have been no demand. Someone must have demanded that he not get, get be allowed in the panel again. Someone must have demanded that he not be allowed to speak. And that's, I just think it's an, I, I, it's so far beyond mere Anglicanism for that to happen that it flabbergasting flabbergasting from the outside. And I, I know JD, you, you can't say much, and I don't want you to say much because you're in that diocese. Well, I don't. I mean, I'm. Well, I just have a lot of friends involved as you do, yeah. and I, I respect. I respect the, the, all the parties, and it was a it was a shame. I mean, and I think that we can second guess the reaction, and but but I I I just my heart sank when I saw it because I I thought that was of all of the various possible negatives that could have happened, I think that was the one that was going to highlight this the most, um, highlight this particular issue. You know, that's why I said, I was talking to Nick before you came on, Matt, like if, if well, I said it before also, if it, I hope that whatever negatives have come out of this, if the pause, if the only positive is that, is that we see that we have some work to do in family systems theory, you know, with, uh, with some of our unsettled, uh, questions and our broken relationships, you know, I mean, like we don't, I don't want to be balkanized in the ACNA into just these dioceses that like, you know, we are sort of uh, affinity dioceses over first women's ordination and then it's high church or low church. And then, you know, then we're just back into like this, basically a um, Episcopal led free church system that just has uh, the flavor and the picture of the, of the local bishop, you know, and it's like, I don't really want that. Like I want there to be some consensus, some commonality, some some shared convictions. And this is an impediment to that. This is not as you put out in your paper, Matt, how you know, whether or not you like to wear cassock alb or cassock and surplus, or whether or not you, you know, wear chasuble or or 
a stole. This is the question of human ontology and anthropology. I mean, this is the question of the authority of scripture and how do we understand it? It's the question of the tradition within our uh, sort of our understanding. And and for my money, the thing that pushed me over the edge into a much more traditional position on this is that it has direct ramifications to how you understand husbands and wives and the roles and responsibilities within families. And so, you know, I was sort of indifferent to the whole question, as I've said before, until I realized that those were the ramifications, that all of a sudden you had men that I was counseling who were abdicating their responsibility based upon a faulty understanding of the roles and responsibilities of men and women in the family, namely that if something goes bump in the night, this is not a rock, paper, scissors situation. This is the one that you have been, you know, demanded and commanded by God to lay down your life for your wife and so on and so forth. So. You know, I mean, that's where I am with the whole thing. I do pray for Jeff Miller and the St. Philip's crew. It was a wonderful conference. I mean, it was you know, the the worship on on Friday night in particular was just resplendent. I mean, St. Philip's, you know, fully dressed, you know, as I, as you could say, is as a sight to behold. You know, I mean, eight hundred people or something it felt like that. I mean, orchestra and all the pomp. I mean, it was like watching the Lambeth Palace procession, but with actual sort of with faith, spirit filled. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so. It'll be interesting to see. I know that we probably haven't heard the last of it. Um, you know, it's still ramp, still settling down. But, but gosh, that was quite unexpected, and it was uh, made for a quite lively uh, sort of Saturday. Otherwise, it would have been quiet Saturday morning. Turned into, um, you know, well, the, the news heard around the world. Well, I've erroneously promised our listener that we would only spend a little bit of time on the. Calvin Robinson affair and spend most of our time on the result of the Calvin Robinson affair, which we're not going to have that much more time, but we're going to try anyway. One of the results of Calvin Robinson being disinvited from this discussion panel is that when the suggestion was made that a Christian could in good conscience go to a same-sex quote-unquote wedding, nobody said anything. Even when the moderator apparently specifically asked if anybody had a retort, nobody did. And certainly we would have thought that Calvin would have had he been sitting there. <laughs> um, this is in the wake of last week, Alistair Pegg being asked by a grandmother if she could attend her grandson's wedding to a trans person. And he apparently said, not only should you attend, but you should buy them a gift. And this has these two things have caused some kerfuffle on the interwebs. Um, Matt, why why is this a question that a Christian needs to think about? Well, because if you haven't been invited to one of these things yet, you're going to be invited to one of these things. Um, if you don't know anybody who's in a gay relationship, I'm surprised. But my, my guess is if you don't right now, you will soon, unless you live in like such a remote part of the world country that these kinds of things don't, don't impinge upon you. But you, you, everybody has to think about it because you're going to you're going to come up against it either yourself or someone you love. And so you need to think about about how, how you're going to how you're going to respond. And we should know, you know, both Alistair Begg, I wrote a letter to, to him about this and he hasn't written me back. Does he know who I am? Yeah, he's not. He, he, he hasn't given me a call yet. That's right. But Alistair Begg did make the caveat, you know, you make sure the couple that are having the wedding that they know that you disagree with them. Interesting. That's exactly what Sam Albury's. That's how he. Yeah, it, it, it seems to be a line that's coming out. Sam Albury said that in the, in, the, in the panel as well. So so the problem with the whole the whole thing and, and, and Alistair Begg saying, well, this way you'll build a bridge to them and you'll enable them to hear you and you teach the gospel. You're not you're not being judgmental. That's a purely horizontal way of looking at this. 
I mean, just in the horizontal plane, you could say uh, that's still a bad answer. You should say because that's still a bad answer because participating, even if they know your objections, you're you are participating in their self destruction. You are it, so it's like it's like driving your son to his heroin dealer, saying along the way, "Hey, son, I wish you wouldn't do this. I totally disagree with you. With you, oh, is that the corner where you buy the heroin? Let me drop you off there." No, it, it doesn't. It, your your words fall empty at that point, and you're not loving your son or your daughter, or whoever it is, by participating in a ceremony in which they're they're destroying themselves and the other person involved or people could be a throuple. Who knows what it is? But the, but the reason I say it's horizontal because you're not considering what's going on spiritually at this point because because these weddings these 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 ceremonies, uh, these are demonic. These are these are demonic mockeries of the institution of marriage. Well, they're the it. death works. I mean, that's what we've been talking it's about. Death, they're right. the it's, 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 death works. I mean, the, the, yeah, I'm, you, yeah. I want you to bring that in. And it's uh, it's a worship service. Even if it's an, even if it's a secular JP service, it's a worship service. Demons are are involved, and they're they're worshiping themselves, and they're enjoying the destruction of these two people, and you are participating in this sacrifice offered to hell. So, so just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow down to the golden idol because it was it was a it was a demonic exaltation of human rebellion. So you should not uh, part, take any part in this in this offering. This demonic offering, because because you are setting your feet in the way of of those who who are rebelling against God and would tear Him off His throne. That's so right. I just there's there's just no excuse for a Christian. Well, and and we answers. and we've talked about this in a variety of contexts in other ways also, but but it's not a zero sum game either. Like people underestimate the effects of yeah. lying with your body. Like they, they, you know, and we've lived this, you know, like the, the, the conversations that you wanted to have that you didn't, the smiles when you didn't, the handshake, you know, the, and we don't, you know, we're, we're embodied creatures. And so you're not just intellectually assenting to participating in this wedding. You're actually physically there. And so you have, you have weakened your soul. You've weakened your conviction at that point. If you genuinely believe that what you're witnessing is a celebration of sin, I mean, if that's what you believe, now that brings the question, you know, because I think that, the, the, again, is what we're really watching is that uh, the devaluation of sin, you know, this is what we're looking at. No matter what we what you say, what sort of clear conversation you had with that couple beforehand, if you go and participate in the celebration of what they're doing, you have weakened your conviction and harmed your soul to the point where if you persist in that, then there will come a time when you would need to be strong enough to actually give them the love that they need. And you, at that point, may not even believe it anymore. And if we hadn't seen it, we wouldn't believe it. But that's the trajectory, is that you begin to make compromises on what you genuinely believe to be true, and you end up stopping believing in just about any of it. Yeah. You'll go to the wedding, the and it'll be beautiful, and you'll think this wasn't so bad, and the reception will be great, and it'll just start... It'll start whittling away at your strength. Yeah, I mean, and that's what, and you know, I mean, I was confessing to my uh, congregation, not in the sermon, but the rector's forum, you know, that I feel like I was, you know, like Hulk Hogan when it's like one, two, and then three, and like my hand like stayed like before I finally, finally was like pulled so thin in these areas, you know, like one more diocesan convention, one more um, turning a blind eye at the bishop's pronouncement, one more, you know, oh, it's not so bad, it's not affecting me. And I was just going to get swept away. And I think that 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 my soul was was stretched thin. And I see that and I warned the congregation, you know, in the rector's form, I said, you know, with all due respect to the panelists, 
no, you should not go. Like you are imperiling your soul, yeah. you are harming your witness, and you are putting in jeopardy whatever sort of Christian um, witness you have built up, particularly with those people. Because if, when push comes to shove, if I'm more important to you than your God, well, then how real is your God in the first place? You know, I remember Miley Cyrus said that years. Oh, no. Yeah, I had this yeah. quote that I used to have. Of, I should find it. And Miley Cyrus, when she came out, um, some article, and I don't know, at least at the time in her life, she was a claiming to be a pansexual or something. I forget the exact quote, but basically she said, well, not basically, she said, my mom, mother, I told my mother and she believes in me more than she believes in any God. Yeah. And I was like, well, there you have it. And so if you go to, a, if you are supposedly the Christian who um, who has some biblically wrought convictions and sees the importance of, um, oh, I don't know, getting thrown out of your building over these issues, and you nevertheless bend your knee or pinch the incense and go to one of these celebrations, then you um, you have said with your life that what is more important is this horizontal relationship than the eternal relationship with your heavenly father. And I don't know, you do that at your own peril. I mean, that's well, what I is... told. I was like, I can absolve you of that if you confess, but like you, you know, you do what you want to do. But I would be very careful making a public mockery of God if you were purporting to be a Christian. Yeah, this is what Joe Rigney has talked about, the sin of empathy, when you can imagine if you're on the shore of a rushing river and your loved one is in the rushing river inviting you to join them, and if you're invited to one of these ceremonies and um, want to follow the advice of Sam Alberry or Alistair Begg, you begin your statement with, I love you. And I really disagree with what you're doing, but that's getting into the river with your loved one. That's jumping in next to them and saying, maybe we can ride this out together. When actual love is saying, I love you, take my hand. Let me pull you out of this river. Come onto the bank with me where it's safe. That's what actual love looks like. Amen. Well, and it's also sad. It's, it's a bunch of... You know, it's it's a situation where you had parents who are finally caught off guard by the unbelief of their children only when they bring home their same sex attracted person from college or something like, you know, they they or they otherwise were were unconcerned with the day to day work of discipleship for the first 18 years of their lives. And now all of a sudden are wondering what a quote unquote Christian should do when their son comes out as a transgender or something. And again, I'm not saying it's as easy as just. Um, well, there's no silver bullet here, but we are what we're witnessing in the broader culture is the lack of catechesis and preparation um, of, in every denomination of children that have now become young adults who are deeply confused about their sexuality and their identities, have been saturated with pornography since the day they could walk, you know, and then thrown into a uh, church, quote unquote, church culture that uh, has no idea of, of what happened before, you know, 1970 and is woefully unprepared to equip them with what they need to withstand some of these obvious questions like should a christian go to a gay wedding you know you're like i mean this is this is you know should a christian go to the kidron valley and watch the ritual sacrifice of children to molech you know should a christian go to the aztec temple and collect the heads as they slide down the the mountaintop it's like what yeah. you know it's like <laughs> Um, no, you know, how about never, never's good. Never's never's where I would begin, you know? And, and, and so again, I, I have deep empathy and sympathy and whatever other word you want to throw in there for the plight of 
parents with unbelieving children and nieces and nephews and grandparents who have um, grandchildren who are who are at the moment not walking with the Lord in the way they want. But to think that that affirming them in this way is going to help your cause is really just a lie. Because all that will do is further diminish their belief that you actually believe in something greater, bigger, and more powerful than yourself. And you have been manipulated and ultimately cowed by someone's, you know, sense of hurt feelings. And and I just think that's, you know, that's so short-sighted. You know, I mean, the the and and you know, again, I pray for conviction um and pray for courage in the face of this because I don't want to be called mean or have somebody cry or somebody blame me for any sort of harm or hurt. But I certainly know that there are worse things than momentary uh, affliction, you know, namely, or are there better things in this momentary affliction, namely the, the greater glory to come. And if I begin sacrificing my convictions through my actions about my belief in that greater glory, whether I'm putting in jeopardy, whether I believe it at all, and I think that's um, that's just not something I'm worth. Um, well, I'm not going to certainly not counsel, and certainly I'm not worth um, jeopardizing in any way. Yeah, I mean, I guess in in short, I just say, you know, if, if if you have been one of those people who's been irritated because your pastor keeps talking about sexuality and you're just, you're just annoyed by the whole thing, well, you know, I think I think you need to rethink rethink the way you're thinking because he's washing out for your soul. And uh, you may not have ever had to confront the issue yet, but uh, you will. And I, I, to get back to the question Nick, Nick asked at the beginning, you will. It's, it, it is the uh, dividing issue of our day, and it's the most pressing issue of our day. Um, and, and Jesus is very clear about, um, about the responsibility of the Christian in the face of, of falsehood and uh, destructive lies, and that's to believe the truth. So... Uh, if you have tried to ignore the issue up until this point, stop it <laughs> and take note and study and come out on the other side prepared and equipped um, to worship Christ and him alone and to love uh, love your friends and neighbors and, and relatives who are involved in sin, but never affirm them in the sin they're involved in. Indeed, love them enough to yeah. name it and counsel them to <laughs> repent and seek forgiveness which is, as we've said, almost every week, always and imminently available in Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to Stand Firm this week. If you would like to keep the conversation going with us, you can be in touch, rate and review the podcast on iTunes, send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com, or you can join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thank you to J.D. Koch and Matt Kennedy. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Mm-hmm.